and welcome to episode 89 of the Cinefessions podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name's Brandon Shawin, and joining me tonight is Ash Collins. Ash, are you feeling any better since last week? Shitloads better. Good. Glad to hear it. Still a little bit of a cough left, but much better. Good. Excellente. So unfortunately, due to uh, some scheduling uh Changes, I guess. Mark is not going to be joining us this week. Uh, I essentially forced him to take another week off so that he could uh, chill after his vacation. But don't worry, he will be back next week and uh, we'll likely have like a 90 minute long week in media section. So definitely look forward to that one next week. Tonight, though, the PaxCast is going to roll on with a review of 2001's Frailty. And we're going to move on to round 25 of that Best in the Backlog Challenge. First, though, let's talk about social media and how you can follow us outside of just listening to the podcast. So you can find us on Twitter at Cinefessions. You can email us at contact at Cinefessions.com. And you can also leave us a voicemail if you want to be part of an upcoming show at 1-302-448-TALK. That's 1-302-448-8255. We love comments, questions, corrections, concerns, whatever. So just reach out to us on any of those and talk film with us. And also make sure you're following along on our Instagram page. We are Cinefessions on Instagram. Mark posts tons of reviews on there, which I eventually want to get moved over to the actual website, but I just haven't done it yet. Um, but definitely follow along there, there if you haven't. And you can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Cinefessions and check out our long list of past reviews and all previous 88 podcast episodes right on over at Cinefessions.com. And we also want to remind you guys, we have that opportunity to win that $20 Amazon gift card. All you have to do is go on iTunes and leave us a review during the month of April, which is coming to a close very shortly. But leave us a review on which, whichever iTunes store it is that you use. And... um you will be entered in for a chance to win a $20 Amazon gift card to the Amazon store of your choice. So it doesn't matter if it's a one-star review or a five-star review, but hopefully it's a five-star review. And uh, once you do that, you will then be entered in. And then all the everyone who leaves us that review is going to be entered in at the end of the month. And a single name will be drawn to win that $20 Amazon gift card. And that will be announced on episode 91 of the Cinefessions podcast. So make sure you are listening to that episode to see if you've won. So again, all you have to do, leave us an iTunes review. Listen to episode 91 to see if you've won. Win a $20 Amazon gift card. It doesn't get much easier than that. (laughs) Exactly. Just remember, it's a simple plan. Just stick. (laughs) fucking plan exactly stick to the goddamn plan is absolutely right all right and we're finally we're proud to tell you that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by audible audible is offering that free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial so all of our listeners get an opportunity to check out their services there's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iphone your android or your kindle devices so head on over to audibletrial.com backslash cinefessions to get your free audiobook that's audibletrial.com backslash Cinefessions. All right, Ash, what has been going on in your world this past week, media and otherwise, if you care to share? Uh, played some more Mass Effect, uh, got caught up with the last season of Archer, not the one that, you know, obviously not the one that's coming up. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's see, watched some more of last season's Top Gear. Um, uh, Oh, I watched a couple movies. Do you watch the British Top Gear or the American Top Gear? Uh, the British Top Gear. Um, okay. But um, I 
I don't know how their new season is going to play out. They're keeping because they got rid of Jeremy Clarkson, the the trio because of Mm -hmm. uh, the shit that Clarkson pulled. So they brought in a new guy and um, uh, Evans is his name. He's okay. He's very loud and he has one volume and it's loud. Uh, so I can understand why he, he doesn't kind of, I don't know, but they had Matt LeBlanc. Matt LeBlanc is great. He he kind of started off pretty rough at the beginning, mm-hmm. but he's moved into a, a, he moved into a nice groove as it went on. Um, so they're keeping Matt LeBlanc. Evans is out for series. I think they're on 24, 25, maybe 24. Uh, so oh. Evans quit because, um, I guess there's between tensions between the producers and him on the show and Matt LeBlanc, so on and so forth. He decided to leave. Um, but then they kept two of the younger uh, car reviewers that they had uh, when Evans was there, and they're bringing them in to be like regulars with Matt LeBlanc. So they'll have like a trio again instead of a duo. Um, oh, okay. So, but uh, now I I like the British Top Gear. I haven't actually seen the uh, U.S. Top Gear, um, mainly because I don't have easy access to it. Um, yeah. Just no cable, and Netflix gets the British version, so that's how I end up watching it. Were you talking about that show before? Or was that Mark that watched that also? Um, well, which one? Ta- Top- uh, yeah, uh, I've watched it on and off for a while, so that, okay, that might be you then. Yeah. So yeah, I watched that, uh, and all of I binged all of Archer season seven, and then. Um, I ended up watching three movies, two of which were for the podcast, but then the other one was not. It was called Abattoir. Um, Abattoir? Abattoir, yes. Okay. A- I feel like it's an Avatar spoof, but yeah, maybe no, not. No, it's not. It's a, it's a supernatural thriller uh, directed <laughs> by the same guy who did Saw 2, II, Saw 3, Saw 4, uh, Repo, the genetic opera, and uh, the other two musicals. So it's directed by... Oh, no by shit. Yeah, directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman. Um, oh, yeah. Jessica Loundis is in it, and she was in one of the musicals that he directed. Um, but uh, yeah, it, a reporter basically a reporter learns that the room where her sister was murdered has been ripped from the Holmes Foundation, and so she ends up trying to figure out what's happened to it. Like literally, like they they her family gets murdered in this house. Uh, they have the funeral. The day of the fu- day after the funeral, she goes to the house to look for some stuff. And they visit the room, and it's gone. Like, oh wow, no, no walls, no, no, like the outer shell of the room is there, but the actual room itself is gone. Um, so she starts going to look for it and her family and find out what the hell's going on. Um, it's kind of fucked up. Um, it's, uh, I don't want to say that it's scary. It there's got a lot of creepy moments to it, and it the effects are really well done. Uh, and they pick some good actors for it. Um, the uh, the woman who played the psychic, the medium in um, Insidious, is in it. Uh, oh, I love her. Yeah. Uh, so it, she and she's kind of one of the the kooky town folk uh, that that she they the lead runs into. Um, but yeah, I I loved it. Uh, I gave it a Netflix thumbs up. It was a interesting interesting take on on uh, like the haunted house or the the cursed town. So spell definitely. the title. Uh, abattoir a b a t t o i r it's on netflix it came okay out, yeah it came out last year hmm very interesting i'll definitely have to check that out 
But yeah, I recommend that one. And other than that, I haven't had a whole lot of time to do a whole lot of stuff because I've been sleeping. I I ended up sleeping like 20 hours on Friday and Saturday. Like 12 hours one day and 10 hours the other. So it was 22 hours. Yeah, 22 hours. Hmm. So yeah, it was... It was a got a good rest there. <laughs> good. Good, good, good. How many hours into Mass Effect are you? Um, I have 30 hours logged. Okay. I'm at like 25% complete on my wow. first playthrough. Um, uh, I haven't had a whole lot of time to do it this week, but I just discovered that they have a mobile app that'll let you send um uh send your um like your Apex team, which is like your you're multiplayer, but not like if you don't want to play the multiplayer, you send these guys in instead and they earn you credits and materials and stuff to for the single player game. Oh, OK, cool. Yeah. So I found the app um, ties into that. You just log in with your EA account and you buy a team and send them into missions and stuff. So, yeah, I've been doing that when I haven't been playing. Awesome. That sounds cool. Archer is a show that I absolutely love but i've not seen very much of it at all uh like i started watching it from the beginning and i maybe like 10 15 episodes in maybe and i I think it's just hilarious but i need to actually sit down and watch more of it but i really do love what i've seen of it yes i love that show um it gets a little like it gets weird as it goes on because the guys who created it um got tired of doing spy stories so so they end up um the the last couple seasons have been all over the place just for the fun of it uh like the um i think it's season five they find like a truckload of cocaine so they decide to become drug dealers and quit being spies (laughs) oh man (laughs) so they're trying to figure out how to unload all this cocaine and end up in like columbia and shit it's it's fucked up it's a lot of fun it's just it's so bizarre uh, yeah. And then they then they end up becoming spies again. Uh, the next season <laughs> for the CIA, um, and uh, Christian Slater actually guest stars a couple times. <laughs> oh, okay. He's like he, he's a spy called Slater who works for the <laughs> CIA. <laughs> but so, but it, it's pretty funny. But then uh, they end up they end up um, it's Archer, so of course they screw that up. So then this last season they were private eyes out in Los Angeles. So oh, nice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, H. John Benjamin, the voice of Archer, he's like my favorite voice actor ever oh, because he's, he's also Bob yeah. and Bob's Burgers, amongst oh, other things. And yeah, I, I just that. fucking love him. Huh? Yeah, I did not but, know that. Yeah, yeah, and Bob's Burgers. If you know people who have listened to the show know that that's one of my all-time favorite animated shows ever. So, but yep, absolutely love that and uh, love him. So I definitely need to watch more of Archer, but. excellent anything else for this week no nothing this week awesome yeah we'll make up for our shorter uh week in media section next week and by we i mean mark of course so (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so for myself i ended up beating mario kart 8 this past week like i was talking about uh figuring i would do last week um it's just a fantastic kart racer and if you have a wii u I feel like you should definitely own this game if you have any interest at all in racing games because they did an excellent job with it. Um, and you can play a lot online still. So definitely recommend that one if you have a Wii U. Um, I also played uh, a bit more of Forza Horizon 3. So there's just something about this one that isn't quite quick clicking with me as much as the first two games did because the first two games... I fucking love them and I would play them for hours on end, like just one more race, one more race, one more race type of thing. And I just loved them. 
This one, I'm not having as much fun with it yet. And I'm finding it a lot more frustrating this time around than the first two games. The tracks I've been racing on so far have been like a lot different. There, A lot more of them are filled with these really tight turns. And um, that's just not what I really like about the game. I like a lot of... Um, I like the races where you go from like point A to point B, as opposed to like the circuits we go around in, you know, lap one, two, and uh, three laps or whatever. And this one has a lot less of those, um, at least so far. Now, I'm sure I'm going to get to those like point A to point B races eventually, but I just haven't gotten there yet. So it's been a bit of a slog so far. Um, the graphics are obscenely nice. The, you know, what runs on my Xbox One S with the 4K and HDR on my 4K TV and looks brilliant. But I'm just getting annoyed with some of the added stuff as it seeming to take me uh, seems to take me a lot longer to just get to the racing, which is really the only aspect I try to finish in the game as opposed to like doing all the PR stunts or finding like the scenic spots and things like that. But I'm hopeful that it's going to click with me soon. It just hasn't yet. But basically trying to get through, I decided to do like an, after your first little area, you can decide to go like to the desert or I guess it's the desert area or to like the city area and I went to the city area and that's why I'm getting like all these shorter races with all these tight turns I think and so hopefully I'm I think I'm almost done with that section so once I get out of there I'm sure I'll, it'll open up a little bit more and I'll like it more but um I also did a couple of test streams on Sunday which were fun I'm hoping to do those more in the coming months so make sure you guys are following our uh, YouTube page our Cinefashions YouTube page and my personal Twitch page which is twitch. TV now, right? Twitch.tv slash Simon1. Um, so that way you guys can know when I go live. Um, I was using the PlayStation Eye camera and microphone when streaming on PS4. So uh, you get to hear and see me be a complete and total jackass. So uh, enjoy that. But um, yeah. This week, though, I, I streamed some um, MLB 16, the show, Road to the Show mode, and I played Disc Jam, and I did that for the first time on stream, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, Disc Jam is hard as hell, but it was enjoyable. I was um, suffering a bit of lag, which really hurts the experience for that game, as I bitched and complained about in the video, but I'm guessing that's more my internet's fault than the game's fault, so I don't blame the game at all, but... I just wish there was like an offline season mode of some sort for that game, because in sports games, that's what I play the most, and I play them for hours on end. Still, even without it, it's fun, but basically, you're only playing it online, so I'm sure it'll get boring after a while, but I'm sure I will play it a little bit more in the uh, streams in the coming weeks here. So, I'm calling these test streams because I'm still trying to like work out kinks, and I want to know which platform people prefer I, I stream on, whether it's YouTube or Twitch. Um, so if you're interested in watching, please let me know what you prefer either by tweeting at me on Twitter or emailing us at contact at .com and just let us know what you prefer. Um, so speaking of gaming, I um, all of our gamer listeners will definitely be interested to know that we have something I think is going to be really cool coming in May that we hope you guys are going to like and more importantly that we hope you're going to participate in. So we've been talking and we want to introduce the Cinefessions Gaming Club to the website. So the Cinefessions Gaming Club is going to consist of one of the three of us, so Mark, Ash, and I, um, are going to pick a video game. Normally, it's probably going to be a retro game that anyone who has a PC would be able to access via emulators and ROMs if you needed to, if you didn't have access to the actual game. Um, and then we're going to spend the month playing through the game, trying our best to beat it. Um, and then at the end of the month, we'll have a segment on the podcast where we discuss our thoughts on the game and give our rating of it. So basically our reviews of the game. Um, but we want this to be an interactive thing more than anything. So we hope that you guys, all of our wonderful listeners are going to join in on the fun as well. And 
In honor of that community spirit that we're hoping this gaming club stirs up, we're also in the process of introducing um, a message board to the website. Now, it's still a work in progress, but it's way overdue in my opinion. Um, and it's something that I hope you guys will really help make a valuable spot for yourselves and the rest of our listeners and readers. So stay tuned for more on that in the coming weeks. Um, I think we'll talk about it a little bit more next week um, and then go from there. But I'm really excited about it. I was on the message boards messing with them, trying to get them set up. I'm just using a free message board at this point because I don't know if it's going to uh, kick off. I don't know if it's going to be worth it basically at this point. So um, hopefully you guys will uh, help me decide that it is worth it and it'll be a great place for us to kind of interact together when we do these gaming club and uh, when we do the Cinefashion Summer Screams Challenge, which is, f- fuck, that just, that just hit me. It's only a month and a half away if we um, do it this year in June like we always do, which I'm sure we will. So it's just a matter of what what it will be like this year. I don't know. Last year was different than normal and I'm sure this year will be too, so. Look forward to that. So that's going to be um, coming up in May. And like I said, we're going to talk a little bit more about it next week because obviously we have, uh, you know, some things to talk about, uh, announce next week in terms of where we're going after the PAX cast and, and um, you know, hopefully which game we're going to be playing through the first month, things like that. So exciting times here at Cinefashions. We got a new logo. And so I just think, fuck, let's do it all, right? Fuck it. I, I don't want to fuck the logo. <laughs> just saying. I'm just it's not that. true. You didn't say that in our group text. Fucking liar. Man, oh man. Oh man. All right. So, no question of the week this week. So, you know what that means? Uh, it's already time to move on to our review for the week. So, like yeah. I said, there's going to be a, probably a little bit of a shorter episode this week with um, just the two of us here. But we got Mark coming back next week who uh, has a lot to talk about in his week in media. And so, it'll be um, a much uh, longer episode next week for better or worse which I know a lot of people are groaning when they hear that. Oh, two hours plus? Who needs that shit? But it's what we, we do here on the podcast. I don't know. Well, <laughs> you, you bitch about it more because you have to edit it. So <laughs> Exactly. Though my editing nowadays is slap a intro, slap an outro, remove some noise and, and say go. That's pretty much that's pretty much it. Keep it as, as, as free balling as possible in this joint. So You're trying to keep the podcast in the raw, huh? <laughs> that's right. The only way it needs to be. All right. So this week, <laughs> we back, we're going back to the PAX cast, and we are reviewing 2001's Frailty. So if you have not seen Frailty, there will be spoilers, and this is a film you do not want spoiled for yourself. So if you've not seen the, po- uh, the show, uh, the film rather, hit pause on the podcast, go watch it, come on back and hit play, and listen to our thoughts on it. So there will be spoilers, and this is your final warning. So, Frailty from 2001 was directed by Bill Paxton and written by Brent Hanley. It has an IMDb score of 7.5 out of the 52,891 current votes, a Metacritic score of 82, a 90% tomato meter with an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 81%. It had a $30 million budget, but only a $16.3 million gross. So, Ash, what is your history with Frailty? How many times have you seen this one? Uh, this is the second time I've seen it. Both times are off of Netflix. So. Oh, okay. Very good. Yep. I've seen this once before previ- uh, as well. And uh, so this, again, like you, was my second time watching it. And I watched the Blu-ray for those curious. So 
first things first, what shocked me, because I didn't realize this at all until I was I was um watching the I put I hit play, I was watching the opening credits. This is actually a directed by Bill Paxton, which I had no idea. Or at least if I knew I'd forgotten. But I thought that was crazy. No, I I knew that. Um I couldn't remember did he write it too or just direct it? No, he just directed. And I think if I remember right, this is his only I think this is like his only film he's directed. Which I think is interesting because I think he, you know, he did a, a strong enough effort here where you would just expect him to have more. Oh, that's that's wrong. He has one more feature length, The Greatest Game Ever Played, which I think is the golf movie with Shia LaBeouf, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. That's a good one. I like that one too. I've seen that a long, long while ago, but I really like that one. But yeah, so immediately we get introduced to who we believe is Fenton Meeks, played by Matthew McConaughey. And it was just right off the bat, I was intrigued by what he had to offer. And I, I wrote down that I think I'm going to like the way McConaughey handles this. So I guess I should go back a second here and say that I, I've seen this film once a long time ago, and it's been so long that it was almost as if I was watching this for the first time. Like, I genuinely didn't remember any of the twists, and there are a lot of them at the end of this movie. So when every new twist came, I was I was gasping or in shock because I didn't remember them. But... I will say one of the things I like about this movie mm-hmm. is it keeps you guessing to the end, and even then, they leave it ambiguous enough so you don't know whether his dad and him are fucking nuts or if they're actually, you know, killing demons, as they put it. See, and that's interesting because I actually find the opposite. So I thought, disappointingly so, that at the end of this, they kind of make it very clear that he is, in fact, fighting demons and that they're not crazy. And the one that is evil is Fenton. And I that and that was a little disappointing to me because I thought for sure, you know, this is going in one direction, but then shit happens. Obviously we're jumping to the very end because this was kind of, you know <laughs> Sorry. Where no, that's fine, but where I thought the film lost me a little bit because it felt like they add this this twist on here just for the sake of faking us out. Hmm. And instead of continuing down the path of dealing with kind of the hysteria that religion and God can have on somebody. Instead, it turns into this, oh, it's, it's real. He's really fighting demons. And the reason I think that it's so cut and dry to me is because of the fact that the FBI agent, it's like one line that he has, and he's like, how did you know? And it's because he, you know, he obviously, um, um, Adam, whose name I forgot through this entire fucking, when I was writing all the notes, but Adam, <laughs> um, touches him and sees that he killed his mother. Yeah. And obviously that's right because of the way the FBI agent handles it. And it's like, oh really? That's so this is real? Like this is legit? I don't I don't know. It was just like, uh, why? Just to annoy you. Exactly. I think that's why it did a it did a good job. It did a good job of that. Success. <laughs> but um I really liked the relationship between um well, obviously, between Matthew McConaughey's character and um, Powers Booth's character, the FBI agent Wesley Doyle or FBI agent Doyle, 
I thought they were really good together. And it was almost as if it was like Doyle was a bit grandiose, a bit of a caricature more so than actual living, breathing character. But I thought it worked really well, either, even so. Yeah, I could see that. I, he, well, I think he, the thing with him is I always see him play the same skeevy character in like every movie I, I've seen him in. So okay. I always expect the worst out of him. <laughs> gotcha. I mean, hell, I, every time I, I, every time he started talking, I kept thinking about his character from Sin City and I'm just like, oh God. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's what I was thinking. I don't, I don't remember seeing him in anything other than this and I haven't seen Sin City. So that's probably Uh, why. Uh, yeah. He's like a corrupt Senator in Sin City, I think. Oh, okay. But yeah, he's, he's a total douchebag. That's funny. Hmm. Um, and the other thing I forgot was basically that the almost the entire film is told in flashback. Like I that completely escaped me. I didn't remember that at all. Um but it's interesting obviously it has to be done this way or it it, it works being done this way because of the fact that we think we're following Fenton Meeks and FBI agent Doyle the entire time when in reality it's Adam and the agent which when I that was revealed, that that threw me too because I'd completely forgotten about that as well. But, um, and I think it's interesting. So jumping, you know, jumping back to that summer of 1979, the introduction that we get of the family, you know, we get uh, Bill Paxton as as Dad Meeks, who doesn't have another name, just Dad, and um, Adam and Fenton. And obviously the mother died because while well, she was giving birth to Adam. And so it's just the three of them. And it just, it paints a very bright image, a very genuine image of just a family that's doing the best they can to survive. And they just seem so happy. Um, and I think that's, it's very intentional because of the way it turns right from there. They seem completely normal. Everything seems fine. Everything seems sane. And then dad goes nuts. Or maybe he doesn't, which he doesn't, obviously, I think, according to what the movie's telling us. But from, you know, like our standpoint looking in at this point, at least, it just seems that he's going batshit crazy from a dream in the middle of the night. He just he just snaps mentally. And it's just it's just crazy. And I love Fenton's reaction to watching that, watching his dad tell that story. Because he just he clearly understands that what his dad's saying is bullshit, and I really I loved that aspect of it. Yeah, it's it's really out of left field. It's like what? right. <laughs> it's like okay. Yeah, sure. exactly. Fruit Loop. <laughs> um, I was trying to think if I've seen because I thought the acting was was really good. Um, and the the young boys do such a great job with it. Um, and I was trying to remember, I felt like I've seen um, Fenton before, but I'm looking through his filmography. Uh, yep, it is. American American Crime. That's where I've seen him. I, I thought so. He is in um, in American Crime, which is a uh, really chilling story uh, that's based off of an, um, oh, come on, not Brian Keene, not Edward Lee, another splatterpunk author like that, whose name is escaping me now for some reason. But um, he's he's excellent in that too. He's another young kid in that younger boy, at least. 
But uh, I think he did a great job. Uh, I think he was kind of the standout for me. Obviously, Paxton, I think, does a, a great job as well. But um, just I think his age really made him stand out even more. Yeah, I'd go with that. I think um, uh, I think the one that where it really stands out is when he's you know trying to convince his brother to run away with him. Um, he's like, you know, dad's lost it. We need to go. And, uh, he's like, well, you know, but, uh, it's when he has to dig the, the dungeon later on and, uh, yeah. and the way, the way he stands out with that. Cause he's just like, you know, uh, he, the way he talks about it, I think that was kind of awesome. just, to, you know, he had this gravity to it. Just like, you know, it, you mm-hmm. could feel it type of thing. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I like that, like, through basically the entire time, he's so willing to stand up to his dad. Um, obviously, he, he has a break. He has a point where he won't. But he's just, it's so very obvious to him that something is wrong here. And always call, he keeps calling his dad out for killing people. And his dad's like, no, I've never killed anybody. You know, I've killed, I, I've destroyed demons. And he's just, he calls him out on it because it is bullshit. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I think one of my, or one, another reason that Fenton stands out to me is the scene, the, the morning after dad tells his story, Fenton, he's clearly scared, but no one's mentioning it. And so he almost thinks maybe it was a dream because nothing that ridiculous could be real, he says, or something along those lines. And then as he leaves his dad, his dad yells out, you know, don't mention what I told you guys. Don't mention to anyone what I told you guys last night. And Adam's just like, okay, dad. And he keeps walking away. But Fenton's reaction just literally stops in his tracks and, and, and watching him realize that this is real. This is happening. This is, this was not a nightmare. It was <laughs> absolutely perfect. Yeah. Who would you say kind of stood out to you as being the, 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 the most impressive actor in this one? I actually liked McConaughey's performance because he's really subdued about it the whole time. He is, isn't he? He does a really good job with this. Yeah. It's 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 one of the better roles I've seen him with. Yeah. Um. And I, I, I don't want to say Bill Paxton because he he does a good job with it. But I think it mm-hmm. is actually the the older son. Uh, yeah. Someone he's a kid. He's fantastic. I yeah. Did. He definitely is. Yeah, if he if they hadn't gotten someone as good as he is, I don't think it would have carried the movie as good as it did. Right. No, yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, and I thought I, I think Paxton is great in this. I think he's so just everything is so natural in this role. It just seems so damn real to him and it's great, which again, it, going to the end of the movie, it it you know, you could argue that it was real or whatever you want to argue, you can argue it, but still as we're as we're going through, it's just at least in my eyes, I just saw a man having a mental break, and um, the way Paxton plays it is just brilliant. And his demeanor with his, with his children, it it slowly changes. It's not he's he's never like, mean and aggressive to them very much. You know, he's still dad, but there's just moments. You know, there's glimpses of his him changing. And I think that, you know, both in the writing and the uh, directing and the acting, I think that's just done really well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I definitely. love <laughs> I, I love um, Fenton's line 
when he's like, you know, basically, I, you know, I want to tell someone, but, you know, I can't, you know, and he says, I loved him, even if he had gone crazy. And I think that's the rub, like, that's the, the entire reason that this continues on as long as it does. Um, and actually, I guess that's Adam that says that, uh, acting as Fenton, because I think it's during the voiceover. But a part I that I thought was – go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I think it, that that line, though, um, still applies to to um, to uh, Ad, or, uh, Fenton. Yeah. Way. I think, right. I think uh, Fenton would have at least said something along those lines. It sounds like something – Fenton would have said to, to yeah no absolutely right um I thought one of like the, the scarier moments and it was it's not a, it's not a scary scene or anything it's just uh, creepy um and shows how far this is going is when was when Adam comes up to his dad and says oh I got a list from God God spoke to me too and he has a list of like his classmates I'm yeah. like, this is fucked up. <laughs> like, oh man, I just thought that was creepy to me. It was just definitely. I did like, so I did like how he uh, handled it though, because he's just like, right. oh, now you know, you can't, you can't fake God talking to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Like, wow. <laughs> I know. And then watching Fenton's reaction to the whole thing, he's just, just like. <laughs> I, what a situation to be in! It's like my God, yeah. He's 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 clearly Fenton's clearly intelligent enough and old enough to understand that something is very wrong. But he's still a kid who just loves his dad, as it says, you know. And that's stopping him from doing what he knows in his heart is right. And it's just really, really sad to watch because he's literally trapped. You know, there's nothing he can really do. Yeah, I like the. Uh, I did like to the the moment where he goes to get the sheriff. And the whole oh my the God. mentality of the, the sheriff and the, the sheriff thinks, you know, he's like, there's nothing going on here. He's getting ready to leave and the dad just loses it. I know that uh, scene frustrated me to no end because obviously as the audience were sitting here, like these, this entire film saying, just go to the, go to the police, go to the police, go to the police. And we tell, you know, we tell our kids, if anything's wrong, go to the police, call the police. And then he goes to the fucking police and the stupid sheriff is just so ignorant and unwilling to listen to him and 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 because of it sets up his own death and i let, let me let me go down to my notes in that part because um how many notes did you take i know i couldn't find it <laughs> <laughs> but anyway uh, i did, i guess i just wrote out so you know you, you want to feel bad for the sheriff because he loses his life but at the same time the motherfucker got what's coming to him because he's an idiot like he had no respect for the child who's running to him and saying these awful things. What what would make what would make a child run to you and and going nuts and start saying these, you know, things that he's saying? Like where would he come up with these stories? Why wouldn't you at least take it seriously to you know, at least check it even if you don't believe it, you don't have to. Why not at least check on it, you know? But like you said, it's that small town mental- mentality, and that small small town mentality got him killed. And so you, you want to feel bad for him, and I wanted to, but at the same time, I was like, uh, "Well, that's what you get for being a dumbass." Yeah, tough because shit, not buddy. only, Thanks, yeah, buddy. not only did you lose your life, but you've you've cost the lives of countless others because you didn't do anything to stop what Dad was doing. 
And so you, you fucked up. You fucked up, Elroy. But um wait, I don't think that was the sheriff's name. No, it wasn't. I was <laughs> there's it's like from a movie or, or some from I don't know, somebody said that in the past, I've heard it. And I, I may have said the name wrong too, who knows? <laughs> it might be Leroy, not Elroy. What fuck who cares? Anyway. Wow. Um, <laughs> um Oh, so there after they so shit gets real when he brings home the first woman. And uh the boys come out, obviously, and he's like, you know, come on in here, come on in here. And then he touches her. And um they're at and then he kills her and they're at the grave and he's like, you know, Fenton's questioning it or whatever, crying. And and dad says, Didn't you see when I touched her? And then Adam says, I saw dad. And he just looks over and he's smiling, like, Aren't you proud of me? I saw. I mean, that is just scary. It's all bullshit. Justifying murder in the name of God. And this happens. This happens in the real world. That's what's so scary about it. I mean, it, and it's that's why I wish they would have continued down that path with the film. And had it been more of a commentary on that, as opposed to, oh, BT dub, it was all real. Well, and see, that's the thing. Easy even with um, his visions or whatnot at the end. Mm-hmm. It could still be them just, you know, being lucky, picking people who've done fucked up things. Like, we don't see them actually, like, doing all the research and stuff. We just saw them, like, you know, picking out the address and shit from the list. And, and right. that's the other thing, too, is you don't know if you don't know if like they had news articles that they were involved in something and the dude's just taking the best guess or, you know, they don't actually clarify that. So, I mean, it's still possible that they're just whacked in the head and you, yeah. they, you can kind of take it either way. I mean, they kind of they lean more towards it being real. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you, you could make the argument that it's complete bullshit. That's true. I guess what kills me is I just if the if the agent didn't say. How did you know? Then I could buy that 100%. And I can buy it a bit now too, though, because the other two things that they kind of throw out there to justify that this is, you know, quote unquote real is they show like two scenes, one with um, the lady, she's sitting next to like a dead man in bed. And then the old man that they kill who like lures in a little girl and then drags her dead body out of the car. Those could just be bullshit, uh, like thoughts that Adam has, you know what I mean? I guess there's no, there's no way to, to prove those. They could just be things he's thinking because the dad says, Oh, you didn't see it. He, he, he hurts little kids. He murders, he's a child killer. And so in Adam's head, he could have just put that together. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, you're right. I I would definitely agree with you on those. It's just the agent. And again, you could just be, you could be right on with that too. They could have just gotten lucky. There could, there could have been like, um, a case surrounding it, people thinking that he was the one who killed his mom, what, so on and so on. You know, we don't really know all of it, I guess. So it still could be fake. And I think that would be just stronger um, because I, it's just, it feels like that's the way this thing's going the whole time. And they don't just, and if that was the case, then they're not just pulling the rug out from under us for simply that reason to pull the rug out from under us, you know, just having a swerve to have a swerve type of thing. Right. I love so. <laughs> it's at the point where they're going to get the old man, the 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 supposed child killer, um, and just how logical Fenton is with the whole situation. They're sitting in their van in the middle of the day, 
And he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And his dad's like, you have to. And But he's like, what if someone sees us? And his dad says they won't. And then he just like, it's broad daylight. <laughs> like, like, just so matter of fact. It's broad fucking daylight. Like, what do you mean no one's going to see us? Like, it's ridiculous. Obviously, it's justified in, in dad's mind because, you know, he says whatever that the, the angel or God makes them invisible or they're invisible when they're God's hands or whatever. So, yeah. did you catch the book he was reading? In the van? I saw the book, but I didn't catch the title, no. It's called Holy Visions by Brian Moore. I thought that was very fitting. I didn't look to see if that was actually a real book, but I'm interested. I'm, I'm curious if it is. It's probably probably not, but... Yeah, might um, be. yeah nothing's coming up on a quick search here. Um, Brian Moore... No, yeah, he's, a, he's just a novelist. Yeah, probably not real. But interesting nonetheless. Holy vision. So I was like, oh, that's fitting. Very fitting. Yeah. So going back to that that one scene you were talking about with the hole, um, it's such a it's such a powerful scene. It's really well done. Um, just the idea that this one little boy digs that giant hole all by himself in one day was insane. Obviously, he doesn't finish it in one day, but he gets very far in in one day, and then. When he goes to the dinner table and to eat and you see his hands all cal- – not not just, not calloused but uh, like blistered and, and bleeding and he can barely do it. And then he continues the next day and refuses to wear the gloves. And then the, my favorite part though is when he's finished and, and dad comes up to him and says, you know, oh, good job or whatever. And he's like, I bet you didn't pray once. And he's like – nope or or whatever his response is basically saying no he didn't not once was just perfect loved that scene he's so headstrong yet he has such a hard time going to the police but it makes sense and it makes perfect sense it would absolutely make sense to the character yeah yep i couldn't believe that that scene where he where dad decides that he's going to have fenton cut the guy's head off i just it was that is so fucked up and obviously i think i think this is the reason that they're doing this is so um is because uh dad gets the quote-unquote visit from the angel the night before and, and the angel tells him that fenton is a is a demon and so he's trying to prove the angel wrong by having him cut the head off um but that's just so fucked up to me no matter what way you cut it that you're having your son try to chop somebody's head off. I mean, good lord. Um, but obviously, this sets up the entire him running to the police, and and then you know, um, him coming back. And there, there's a scene in there where they're just in the dining room and they're talking with the cops. And Fenton's like, you know, I can show you, I can show you. And the if, if sheriff's finally like, okay, fine, like, you know, I, I let's just do it to, to if it's necessary or whatever. If it has to be done and put Paxton looks at him and says, what do you think, kiddo? Does it have to be done? And just the way he looks at him with those eyes was terrifying. Just I thought that was so cool. Do, do you remember the scene I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And yeah. that, it's just like, uh, it's like <laughs> I, I knew it wasn't going to at that point. I, mean, mm-hmm. I knew if the kid took him out there, it wasn't going to end well for the sheriff. But at the same right. time, it's just like, ugh. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And like I said, I wanted to feel bad for the sheriff, but I just, you have to be better at your job. <laughs> like, if that's what your job is, right? Like, if your job is literally life and death situations, you just, you have to be better. And uh, not, nobody deserves to die for that, obviously. But not only did, like I said, not only did he give up his life, but he sacrificed the lives of all the other people that he could have, you know, that he could have saved had he stopped this hap- from happening. So it's just a a horrible, horrible situation there. Um, and then you know when they are at at the graveyard again, or and not at the, there's not a, it's not a graveyard; it's turned into a graveyard. But the the rose the rose garden, um, just his dad. Like, look what you made me do. Like, you know, you made me do this and. Um, he's yeah. like, I never killed a man before the night. And for Fenton's like, I see that's a lie. Like, what are you fucking talking about? And then he picks up the shovel. He pushes his dad so far that he picked his dad picks up the shovel, threatening to hit him and then stops him. I mean, it's just, and that shot of Fenton cowering under in between, like in between his uh, dad's legs. And all we see is kind of like the, uh, waist on down. It's such a great shot. Such a great image yeah. from this. Yes, there are a lot of uh, great shots with this one. Uh, just the way they they kind of framed it and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, Is there any others that kind of stand out to you as being some of your favorites? <sighs> um, some of the stuff in the car actually when he's dr- they're driving uh, Matthew McConaughey to the the oh Rose Garden. Uh, some yeah, of the no, you're absolutely right. Good. Yep, um, and like the way they use dark and and light, you only see half their face. I love that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I loved was when he come Fenton comes home and he sees the van and the way the mm-hmm. camera follows him around. So you get to see the you know, event at first. He's like, oh, cool. We got a new thing. And yeah. then he looks at it and you can see the expression change as it dawns on him. Why would they have a van? <laughs> yeah. And, he, oh, and, he, and then he just kind of walks in that that the way they kind of have that roving kind of camera there. Mm-hmm. Kind of catches it all right there. Yeah, it's a really good shot. Definitely is. Yeah, I think, um, and that's why I, that's why I'm surprised that Paxton didn't direct more. He has a couple of shorts, and then um, you know, the greatest game ever played, like we'd already talked about. But I think he does a really good job with this. That you would think, and and maybe, and frankly, maybe just something he wasn't passionate about. Maybe he just preferred being on the other side of the camera more, um, because obviously he's doing both in this one. And that could yeah. absolutely be the case. And if that's the case, great power to him, you know, do what he loved. But um, I'm, I'm just a little surprised because I think he did such a, a, a solid job here, especially for his first, his first effort at it in a feature. I would have really loved to see what, uh, what else he could have done in this same genre, you know, in this kind of horror genre. It took me forever to realize that the axe has Otis carved into it. But I caught that at the end, yeah. <laughs> yeah, once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it because I was like, "Oh my god, that's so great!" I don't know, I don't know what's so great about it, but it's just awesome because obviously it's the owner that they that he you know quote unquote found the the um the item with or from, but who basically who he stole it from. But I don't know why, but it's so great and just just the name is perfect, Otis. It's just such a I'm gonna chop your head off name, you know. <laughs> but I love that. Um, and then I, it's, you know, I, so as you see his, as you see dad's demeanor change in everything happening and then it just keeps getting darker and darker, you know, um, 
first they're this idyllic family. Well, not, I guess, not the picture perfect idyllic family, just a very good family because, you know, they're missing the the mother character that you would normally see in a family portrait like this, you know, of the all-American family. Um, and then it goes from that to um, the the um, uh, the vision, right? The the nightmare, the dream, and then from that to uh, the dad taking care in the woman and killing the woman, then to um, you know the guy, and um, it's just kind of getting darker and darker, and then giving the axe to his son to kill him, and then killing the the person who he admits is a man and the sheriff. Um, and then it just keeps going and going. And then he goes so far as putting his son in a cellar and locking him in there for a week, right? Is what they're going to have him in there for. And yep. and all he's giving him is a cup of water a day. Like, I, what the fuck is up with him? Um, crazy. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely batshit nuts. And it's horrible. And, um... Fenton fights it though, man. He fights it. it. You know, his dad comes in and says, "Has God spoken to you yet?" And Fenton's reply is just, "There is no God." Yes. And then I he know. gets slammed back in there. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. I was Fenton's just like, "Get him, Fenton." Big f you to Fenton or for Fenton to his dad. Just, yeah, like, exactly. But exactly right. But then, basically, Fenton Fenton goes crazy. He snaps. Which, you can't blame him. He's fucking, what, 11, 12 years old? Maybe 13? Yeah, he's probably a little bit, maybe, I don't know, between 11 and 13, somewhere in there. Yeah. And he's locked in this cellar, no light, no food, a glass of water a day, no human contact. He snaps. And that's how he gets out of there. And I can't blame him at all. And frankly, that's probably where it all began, you know, where he turn to this because obviously you know he continues to be a serial killer at least that's the story that um fenton or rather that adam weaves no yeah wait a minute okay now is that right or or they did they just kind of frame their brother or did adam frame his brother they don't for the crimes i they don't go into it per se i get the impression that fenton has been doing something bad um, and I'm guessing, mm-hmm. I'm guessing because the way he said it, he answers the FBI agent and he's like, well, where, you know, where's he had the bodies? And he's like, well, you know, Fenton didn't put the bodies here. I, I put the remains here. You right. Know, Fenton put them out someplace else. Yeah, you're um, right. He, he kind of, I think Fenton was not being very good. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I, I literally just thought of that now and I don't know why I didn't think of that before to kind of ponder on it more, but. Um, I mean, what you're saying definitely makes sense, but I don't know. It's interesting. Hmm. Next time I watch it, that's definitely something uh, that I'm going to uh, look for more closely. Is Fenton actually innocent or is he guilty? Interesting. Um, but yeah. And so, you know, if he is the, you know, a person who actually is commits murders, you know, a serial killer, um, even if he's not you know, the quote unquote God hand killer, like... Um, the FBI believes he is, or at least maybe if he's not responsible for all of those, at least, or if he's responsible for more, whatever. Um, this is probably where it happens, right? Like he's a kid and he's put here and he snaps. And um, so 
Brad White from from Dallas is who their next victim is. And this is the one where Fenton says, you know, I'm I'm good. I've seen God. He spoke He spoke to me. I can do it. And so they go out to uh Dallas. Excuse me. And um they're gonna get him. So this guy is just uh he's kind of looks like a piece of shit. I and mean, the way he talks to his wife at least. Or his girlfriend. Yeah, I was not impressed with that dude. <laughs> he was he was a piece of work. Yeah, he was. But he uh, he he can kind of feel that he has a little bit of suspicion, asking about the gloves and everything. But then he gets in there, and uh, he gets actually gets in the first shot. But because Fenton's there, they're able to take him down. And um, and I said I wrote down. I guess I don't know why I wrote it down because I guess I was rooting against him the whole time. But you know, I wrote down that I'm definitely rooting against Paxton here. As I imagine most will be. And I think maybe I wrote that down because I just watched Sleepwalkers the day before and it was a little less clear who I was rooting for, whether the good guy or the bad guy. (laughs) And so maybe that's what I was thinking about when I wrote that down. But um, I mean, it's obvious that I wanted – and you know, is it obvious though? Maybe that's what – because – so say the guy takes him down. I mean, he's going to have to attack Fenton next, right? If if Brad White from Dallas takes dad down – and Fenton comes at him. He's going to have to take him down next. So it's like, do are we rooting against Fenton now? Are we rooting against Fenton and Paxton? Or are we just rooting against Paxton? It kind of, and I feel like it kind of turns. Because if you are rooting against one, you're basically rooting against them both, right? And then b- everything prior to this, we were on the side of Fenton. So maybe that is, there is a change here. Does that make sense? I may have just went in circles, but do, do, you, know, do you understand what I'm getting at at all? <laughs> I, I kind of get what you're getting at, yeah. But the scene, that scene, I think, is is probably the most, the start of the most tense in the film, I would say, I would argue. Um, watching, because obviously they, they get Brad White home, and watching to see if Fenton would kill the guy or not. And then, instead of killing the guy, he turns the axe on his dad. I mean, and again, I've seen this before, but it's been so long that that shocked me. And then it doesn't end there because not only he gets his dad, but his, and then his dad whispers something to his brother. Right before it ends, Adam runs up and chops off Brad's head. And it's like, holy shit. That was, that was a scene, man. That was just a a fucking ride. I really, really like that scene. It's probably my favorite in the film. I was, um, it was interesting that they, how they did it too, because they didn't, they didn't go gory with it. But yeah, they know, don't exactly. You know exactly what just happened, and right. with every every time they bring that axe down, yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then I wrote down "Hello, Swerve" that I completely forgot about. So <laughs> that's when we find out that Adam or that Fenton is not who he is, not Fenton, but Adam. And so um, I was just like, "What's going to happen next?" So I mean, like the movie had me hooked you know i was engaged i wanted to know where this was he- where this was heading but it kind of blindsides you at the end because you're sitting here rooting for fenton if not the whole time like we just talked about most of the time and then it turns out that basically they're all fucking nuts right like the dad was obviously nuts brad uh uh not brad i got brad's on my name uh, adam's nuts he's killing people and then according to fenton 
Or according to Adam, Fenton's killing people too. And he's always been evil and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, fuck, who is the good guy in this? It's not the FBI agent. He killed his mom. It's not Fenton. He's a serial killer. It's not Adam. He's, he's killing people or the dad. He's killing people. It's like, who, who is the good guy in this film? <laughs> the victims. Yeah. Right. That's it. Right. I mean, that's gotta be it. And we know nothing about them. And so really it's just kind of the, a faceless generic good guy. You know, there, there really is none that we know anything about. And that's just strange. You know, you don't really see that a lot, but yeah. So I thought the other thing that kind of made me think that this whole thing is real. And I forgotten about this until I just got down here, but they always, dad always said that when we're God's hands, we're invisible. Okay. Yeah. How does that play itself out? To give you that one. Yeah. The it's FBI like, agents, they can't remember what he looked like and the tapes are all fucked up. Yep. So, I mean, that's the other thing that just it really leads me to believe that they are not, in fact, lying. That this is real. And that's... Uh, ugh. What's the point? Um, and the other... And then and then the kind of the final, the final swerve in this whole film is the reveal that Adam is, in fact the fucking sheriff now i mean i <laughs> i love that that was oh. crazy really crazy to me he, he thinks he you know he pauses when he first comes out and he sees the fbi agent and he's like hey, is he gonna recognize me mm -hmm. nope <laughs> yeah and they they do this the push pull shot that was made famous in jaws right when um yeah you know what I'm talking when the the main character's name I'm forgetting in Jaws see Bernie. what he thinks is the shark. Yeah, for the first time they do that push pull where it's literally the camera physically moving backwards and the operator folk uh zooming in at the same time. That's how you that's how they make that push pull shot. And it's it's a beautiful wonderful shot. I love how they do it. it. Takes a lot of work to keep it all in focus. Um so tech from a technical standpoint is very always impressive to see. But it also I feel like it is it is basically the audience's emotional state right there is what that is what that shot represents and it's, so it's it's incredibly effective on multiple levels and then he doesn't recognize him and it's like holy shit um and as soon as that happened I was like wait plot hole Becky said that he was here earlier oh and then it turns out seconds later Becky is with Adam and uh, so she knows what's going on clearly, and that's why she was part of the lie. Is is how I read it at least, and so it made more yeah. sense. But well, yeah. yeah, she is. You know, he is her baby daddy. So at least that was the impression I got. That's I I got the, I I don't know why I guess, but I got the same impression. I, that's I I would agree with you hundred percent. That's what I thought as well too. So, but so. I guess that's it. Any any other um, uh, final or any other thoughts on it? Or do you just want to give your final thoughts on your star rating for frailty? I guess just uh, final thoughts on star rating. I, it I uh, I thought it was incredibly well put together. Um, great shots throughout. Uh, I like the ambiguous nature throughout. The reveal is well done and believable. Um, and even, you know, and the, I love the, the kind of, well, is he just fucking nuts or did it actually happen that way? You know, yeah. everything complaining throughout. Um, 
the acting's really good, uh, really well done. Through you know throughout the the only the only one that I had issues with was the FBI agent, and that's only because I'm so used to seeing him play an asshole. Uh, <laughs> it has nothing to do with his performance because his performance works in the film. It's just every time I see him, I think of you know him as the asshole. Um, so. <laughs> Right. But uh yeah, uh overall I really loved it. Uh, I would have got my Netflix thumbs up and I give it a 4 out of 4. Oh shit. Ash is back with a four pack. I like it. Very good. So so there's no denying the emotional punch that frailty carries. You know, I was engaged from from the start to the finish. And the twists and turns are enough to keep anyone guessing, even someone who's seen the film in the past. Um, Paxton, Paxton is absolutely fantastic in this. Um, first as what we believe is the man gone crazy, but then we come to realize as the movie concludes that he's simply a man doing, quote unquote, God's will. And I think that's where frailty lost me a bit. Instead of it being a story of a man using God as an excuse to murder, which was fascinating to me, it turns into a God's will be done story, which is much less exciting for me. Now, the final 10 minutes don't discount what the first 90 set up necessarily, but it still leaves me feeling underwhelmed with the turnout. This is one of one of my favorite roles from both Paxton and McConaughey, um, and both the child actors are stellar as well. And as we mentioned, uh, Fenton's actor, um, be, which what is his name? I feel like a jackass. Um, Matt O'Leary, with Matt O'Leary um, being my favorite in the whole film. Um, I like Frailty a hell of a lot. It's a great psychological horror film, but it jumps a shark a bit at, at, at yeah, it jumps a shark a bit at the end in an attempt to win one over on the audience. And though that works sometimes, I really felt like it could have been a stronger film had it stuck to its guns until the conclusion. Still, Frailty is must-see because of the acting, and it weaves an engaging as hell story. So I'm giving Frailty three out of four stars. Oh. Yep. Yep. Now you know how I feel (laughs) when I wanted to introduce... Cherry Falls and Inside into the Cinefessions Hall of Fame. And I was like, nope. You're rather you were like, nope, three stars. And I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah. You know what? <laughs> I'm gonna give you a Lana. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. So the PAX cast will conclude next week with our review of the comedy horror film Club Dread. So look for that next week. But before we finish for today, let's move on over to round 25 of the Best Thing the Backlog Challenge, where we try to conquer our personal backlogs one week at a time. So as a reminder for this feature, each of us looks at the other's unwatched piles, be it their home video collections or one of their streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Instant Video, or Vudu, and pick one film the other hasn't seen yet and challenge them to watch that film before the next podcast, where they then give a quick review of that film. So last week you and I exchanged films. I was watching Sleepwalkers from 1992, and you were watching one of the films from your personal cinefessions list, The Way of the Dragon from 1972. So go ahead and tell us a bit about Way of the Dragon. Okay, Way of the Dragon is a 1972 action comedy written, directed, and starring Bruce Lee. Uh, action it, comedy no yes, shit okay. action comedy it is more action towards the end but the beginning starts off as a comedy um kind of the humor is a little weird 
Um, But uh, it is probably most known for its uh, fight between Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee. Um, Awesome. Yeah, Chuck Norris. That actually, Bruce Lee uh, invited him into be the for that role because he was the U.S. Kung Fu champion at the time. And uh, Chuck Norris is like, you know, you, you you just want to beat a champion, right? And he's like, no, I want to kill a champion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Trivia there for you. Um, the, another little bit of trivia: uh, it, they some of the shots in the Colosseum, the Roman Colosseum, are actually in the Roman Colosseum. They didn't have permission to film there, so they filmed them quickly. Um, <laughs> That's awesome! Wow, but yeah, um, but uh, it, it's some bits of it feel really good. The fight scenes are fucking awesome. Uh, just, I, I just Bruce Lee's fight scenes are always amazing to watch. Anyway, <laughs> um, but the uh, the comedy has some moments are good, some moments aren't. It has that late 60s, early 70s kind of schlock to it. Almost feels like B-movie. Okay. And the, uh, you know, almost like, you know, Grindhouse type of Mm -hmm. thing. Even the zooms in, zooms out, you know, the the camera moves like that. And even the the soundtrack, some parts of which were lifted from other movies. Um, But uh, overall, it's a lot of fun. Um, The fight sequences are really well done. Um, The... Dub though, oh god, the U.S. dub is fucking terrible. Oh I, no! Yes, and that's the only way I could watch it on Netflix. They didn't have the <sighs> original track with English subtitles, so uh, I guess though they actually they actually filmed the movie uh, without any sound at all, and then added it all later, which is kind of impressive. Um, wow. including the dubbing. So <laughs> they actually had to dub over all the lines anyway. Um, but uh, it's pretty it's standard not, with um, like Italian, like giallos and, and basically Italian filmmaking in general. Yeah. Uh, that way you don't have to worry about sound on set. Just exactly. Um, but uh, I don't know. It was, it, it's kind of fun. I, I, I was amused during the fight sequences at least. And they, they got inventive with it. Uh, you know, Cause they'd actually, Bruce Lee was the first one, you know, because they'd always asked him, why are, why are so many of these movies set in period pieces? And the first thing Bruce Lee would do would pull out a, you know, a gun and be like, you know, and they'll take it over real quick. Uh, but they actually incorporate the guns into it. Um, and and uh, Bruce Lee. Oh, one more. OK. And then uh, Bruce Lee having to disarm people with guns and stuff. So they kind of incorporated some of that into it. Um, gotcha. Uh, this actually came, it came out in 1972 in Hong Kong, um, but it was released in the U.S. after Enter the Dragon. So um, it was like uh, they called it Return of the Dragon when it came out in the U.S., not Way of the Dragon. So that it would sort of seem like a sequel sort of to Enter the Dragon. Okay. Uh, it really wasn't. Um, it was actually filmed first. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I would give it probably three out of four and definitely Excellent. enough thumbs up. Cool. Uh, so was it worthy of your personal cinefessions list or did you expect more out of it? Um, I honestly expected a little bit. The fight scenes I didn't expect any more out of it because they were really well done. I was expecting more um, Enter the Dragon because uh, I had seen that one before. 
Um, okay. Less, and, you know, less the kind of comedy. I didn't even know it was, you know, supposed to be a comedy because we right. started off the beginning and my wife and I were both watching and we're like, this is fucking weird. Yeah. It was worth watch. Definitely worth a watch. You, just for the Kung Fu, just for the, the Chuck Norris fight alone was worth. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and Chuck Norris is obscenely hairy. I just want to throw that out there. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's they actually into the fight at one point. He grab, Bruce Lee grabs a hold of his chest hair and rips some out. Oh, jeez, that's fantastic. Oh yeah. So anyway, but yeah. So yeah, three out of four. Netflix thumbs up. Excellent. All right. So yeah, I watched. Courtesy of you, Sleepwalkers from 1992. So Sleepwalkers, um, if I remember right, was actually a another Blu-ray that I received from one of the horror packs from back when I was subscribed to that. So I think that's the second one now that I've watched for the Best in the Backlog Challenge from Horror Pack. Um, so I knew absolutely nothing about the movie going into it other than the fact that it's a uh, it was a Stephen King adaptation. So Sleepwalkers is about a mother and son duo that are both sleepwalkers and incestual lovers <laughs> so there's that um sleepwalkers are uh, as far as i could tell creatures that that can change their forms and they require the blood of blood of virgins to survive oh and the only thing that can really kill them seems to be cats for whatever reason so the son charles is a really charming young guy and he seeks out the insanely beautiful Tanya who happens to be a virgin. He charms his way into her heart and then tries to kill her to feed his to his mother. Uh, but things don't quite go as planned. So that's the basic story of Sleepwalkers and it does a well enough job to to keep the plot engaging even though it's really simple. Um there are plenty of flaws with Sleepwalkers, don't get me wrong. And and most of them show their ugly head in the final act of the film. But yeah. by that point I was so charmed by the film that I didn't care a bit. I really love the relationship between Charles and Tanya and, you know, eventually was disappointed to see it go south, but it has to. Um, Mary, Charles's mother, is a weird-ass character. She actually reminded me a bit of what Carrie White would be like if she grew up and had a child and was a sleepwalker, <laughs> of course. Um, but uh, my favorite aspect of the film, though, has to be the fact that our main protagonist, the main hero of the film literally a cat i mean that's just fucking brilliant <laughs> i'd love that um so sleepwalkers is a really simple story and it gets really strange in the final act which i, I would talk about it more but i don't want to spoil it so um but either way it's still a really charming damn movie and i really enjoyed it in spite of all its flaws so i'm giving sleepwalkers three out of four stars Woo yeah i like that one a lot so what did you think of sleepwalkers obviously you've seen this before um I I actually have not seen that movie since it came out on video on demand. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's been a really long fucking time. Gotcha. Um, I remember falling in love with Alice Krieger, who plays his mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she also plays the Borg Queen in Star Trek: First Contact. So, and uh, and she plays Lady Jessica in the Children of Dune miniseries. So, bingo. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh no I I remember loving it I I loved the fact that it was that the ca the cats were their bane and the cats right. kept, like hanging out the side their house <laughs> that was so oh, stupid I loved my it. shit up I loved it um but uh, no I I enjoyed it a lot when I when it first came out I just remember I do remember the the final act kind of being a little weak but 
Um, yeah, it is strange. Yeah, but yeah. It, it doesn't even matter. It's definitely worth worth seeing if you haven't. Um, I, I, the Blu-ray is yeah, I, is bare bones as hell, so you uh, don't need it on Blu-ray. But uh, yeah, that that's one of the things I will give Stephen King's uh, adaptations into movies. A lot of times, for whatever reason, when they convert them over to film, they don't seem to know how to fucking end them. Uh, like, uh, I'm the mangler is one of them that they didn't know how to end. It's just like, eh, well, we're going to do this. And, you know, cause that's what we always do in horror movies as opposed to just, uh, but you know, and a couple other ones that they've done over the years. Um, it, it, this one I think is probably one of the ones that suffers from that. They just didn't know how to end it. Um, yeah, exactly. and, or, or, or they wanted to go Hollywood with it. I think the one that it, it feels like a Stephen King story and the ending broke me so bad was the mist. Oh, that oh, I love the mist. Oh, I love I, I, it. I, I, I'm not going to spoil. Don't spoil. It. Yeah, don't spoil this for that one. Because Jesus Christ. But yeah, the Frank Darabont's ending to the mist, even because Stephen King didn't have an ending to it. And mm-hmm. so Darabont had to come up with a, an, an actual ending for it. And and even Stephen King's like, yeah, yeah, that fits. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. More, I think he was actually pissed that he didn't think of it before. It. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, no. So, yeah, I think that's probably the, one of the things they just they don't know how to end a Stephen King movie. Um, but uh, no, other other than that, I, I I enjoyed it a lot. So, excellent. So, um, next week Mark will be back and he's going to talk about the road. So that means that you and I have to swap films for um, this coming week. Actually, you know what? No, let's not swap films. Let's um pick for ourselves for this week how's that sound all right yeah because we haven't done that in a while uh, it means i actually have to go look damn you actually let, <laughs> let me ask you this did you already have a film picked out for me kind of okay I, well okay I, well let me ask you this have you seen uh back country on netflix back country from 2014 one all one word uh i don't know that i have actually Okay, forget it then. We'll pick for each other. I'm going to have you watch Backcountry from 2014. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So um, what uh, what are you thinking I'm going to watch for next week? All right. I am giving you one of my childhood favorites from 1984. Oh, boy. It, it features Sting uh, and my other crush is Lady Jessica. Um, oh, I th- I've seen. Is it Labyrinth? No, it is Dune. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So, who was your other crush? I thought you were going to say what's her name. Oh, well, the the my this was like she was like my first crush uh like film crush was uh, Francesca Annis. Uh she played Oh, okay. In, in uh, the 1984 Dune. Um so yeah, I I loved her <laughs> when I was a kid I was like, ah, yeah. Granted, I was like 8 or 9 when I saw this, so Yeah. I, even then, she's still pretty freaking gorgeous. And then, uh, who else is in this? Oh, Brad Dorff's in it. I forgot that. Yeah, um, I just saw there's that. A, uh, Virginia Madsen's in it. Kyle MacLachlan. Um, Patrick Stewart's in it. He's got a pretty decent role. Um, but Sting's in it. Dean Stockwell's in it. Max von Sydow. Um, Linda Hunt. I mean, there's it's a pretty good cast. Oh, Sean Young. Sean Young is in this, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty good cast overall. And it's a little weird, but so is Dune. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Oh, fuck. You gave me a long ass one.
Hey, Two hours, I, 17 minutes. Hey, be glad I didn't give you the um, the uh, TV edit, which is another- 190 four. minutes? Holy shit. Yeah. The TV edit, though, is actually better, but because uh, oh. they explain some of this stuff, but you don't- like I didn't need it as a kid, but it was neat to have it, you know, when they aired it. So mm-hmm. um, it's just one of those things. It's like, you know, they, they trimmed down what they needed to, to make a complete movie. So. Gotcha. And just, just to note, when you said sting, I was thinking David Bowie. And then you said the crush. I was thinking you're going to say Jennifer Connelly, because I feel like that's oh, a lot yeah. of people's first crush. <laughs> yeah, she would have been, she would have won another one. Yep. Yeah. But excellent. So, all right, I am watching Dune from 1984, Mark is watching The Road from 2009, and you are watching Backcountry from 2014. Yes. Should be fun. Excellente. So that's going to do it for this week. So next week, Mark is going to be back, so we will really be at full strength again, even though I promised that last week, but we really will this week. And we're going to be reviewing the comedy horror film Club Dread from 2004, so make sure you track, track down a copy of that one so that you can watch it with us and then listen to the show. And if you have a question for the three of us here at the podcast, please hit us up using the hashtag InFilmWeTrust for all your questions you'd like us to answer here on the show, and we're going to do our best to answer all of them. So again, make sure you tweet at us using that hashtag InFilmWeTrust, and if for some reason you're not on Twitter, give us a call at 1-302-448-TALK or email us at contact at for any of those question of the week options. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or wherever else it is you might be listening to us. Positive reviews help us reach a broader audience, which is always the goal. And again, as we talked about earlier, you still have that chance during the month of April to be entered in to win a $20 Amazon gift card to the store of your choice simply by leaving us a review on iTunes. And the winner of that is going to be announced on episode 91 of the Cinefessions podcast, so make sure... Um, you listen for that and make sure you, if you haven't already, that you're leaving us a review on iTunes. And just a reminder, you can reach us on social media. We love to interact with all of our listeners there. You can find us at Cinefessions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So make sure you're following us on all three of those platforms. And also, Ash, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter, D-H-G-F, Ash, A-S-H-E. Excellent. And you can follow me on my personal Twitter feed at Simon1, P-S-Y-M-I-N, one. All right. I want to thank everyone for listening to the 89th episode of the Cinefessions podcast. And remember, in film, we trust. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>